it's Denise from Women Beyond a Certain Age. Now, this is a fun show because one, our guest is not a woman, and two, he's not even very old. So talk about going off brand. That's what we're doing. Just a rogue. We're being rogue today. That's what I said to Cindy. Now, here's the reason. Our guest today is Josh Fitzwater. Now, Josh is the publisher of Southern Grit Magazine. So hopefully, if you don't know the magazine yet, you will after this. So welcome, Fitz. Now, Josh tells me I should call him Fitz. So I'm going to speak you at your word. Hello, Fitz. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. By the way, my my gray beard says I'm also old. So uh, not not a woman, but I but age wise, I can I can fit in. I think, or at least you know, I got half of it now. I was a cocktail waitress at the Last Supper, so everybody looks young to me. I need people to know that you are part of. Well, they should go to their fa- your Facebook page to begin with. And they should look at Southern Grit Magazine because Cindy and I are drawn to your magazine, Fitz, because of the one, the content, and two, the photography, which is absolutely beautiful. Well, you know, my my biggest accomplishment is that I discovered Deb Freeman's food writer. Thank you. Yes. Now, I had to go. I said to Cindy, we had recently just taped uh, a second podcast with Deb, but I said to Cindy, now, so I went to your Facebook page to make sure that it was safe to talk about Deb, that it wasn't some secret. Because, you know, sometimes people don't want, it's, I, I don't have any secrets. That's okay, I just don't. That's, I was raised that way. I really, I don't have any deep, dark secrets. Matter of fact, I'm rather shallow. But I wanted to make sure that it was okay that we talked about your relationship with Deb, because you guys are a Facebook official, as she said to me. And, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she, she keeps she keeps me around i'm uh Hi, and lucky you and lucky her and yeah. he's also people don't know this because you won't see this picture the, the what i'm seeing if it's right now but he has a hat on that says virginia is for lovers pretty that's cute. right that's okay. right oh, wait shirt i also have the shirt on as well a wardrobe oh. there you go there you go now answer me this. Yes, we are big fans of Deb's writing. We're big fans of everything that she does. But here's what I want people to know. You have to tell us a little bit about yourself. I know you started Southern Grit, what, in 2014? Yes, yes. Uh, so since then, we've put out uh, 15 editions of the magazine, and it, it centers around uh, Virginia food because until about a year ago, uh, Virginia was not getting the love despite inventing a, a myriad of American dishes that are the quintessential American cuisine. So uh, it was important. Um, somebody had to do it. I wanted the headache. Uh, so I took it on, basically. Now, I was going to say, but you had a degree in photography. Yes. Did yes. you have a Now, I know Deb had a degree. At, Deb go to college for journalist, journalism. So, see, Deb has real degrees. I have what's called the, uh, I barely got through high school because I didn't like going to class. And so I couldn't get into any college except community college. Uh, So, uh, yeah, I've got two associate degrees that do nothing for me. Uh, Deb Deb has a bachelor's degree um, and a daughter that's working on a master's. So they're the educated ones. And i Due to my lack of education, I get put in the kitchen a lot and I have to make food for both of them a lot. Of okay, there's nothing wrong with that. 
Now, let me tell you something. Matter of fact, when you were talking about not going to school, uh, not like going to school, that your degrees were useless and um, blah, blah, blah. For a moment, I thought you were talking about me. <laughs> no, 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 don't try to confuse me. No. Because when, the only thing I ever did, seriously, only college I ever completed, uh, I started a lot. I had so much enthusiasm and then it would just diminish as I had to get in my car and drive to class. But they kind of scotch taped my degree together from the California Culinary Academies. And they did that because they wanted to get rid of me. Okay. No, no. No, no, no. I was, I, I, I was not their favorite. So I understand that. You know what? I think it's fascinating. I don't think we're all supposed to go to college. I, don't I, I agree with you 100%. I, I think that I, I still wrestle with, is there any point in an artist going to college? I don't, I don't know. I honestly don't know the answer to that question. Um, I think that the history part of it, uh, you know, is, is helpful. But in terms of like finding a vision, I, I don't know how much college does for anybody on that level. It, it didn't do anything for me on, on a, like a vision level. I getcha. I think that, and you mentioned it, I think, and this is just me, Fitz, I think that I know for me personally, I couldn't learn anything until I was really interested in it. Do you know what I mean? That's just, I, I, I've never been the type that, I mean, I remember people liking geometry or liking, you know, classes. I like history. I like art. Yeah. I like music. Do you know what I mean? So that's just about, and I like to cook. But other than that, I, you know, I'm, my husband knows because my husband, who went to school forever, fits is the same type. He knows so many things. And sometimes he says to me, well, you know that. And I go, no, I don't know. He says to me, did you even go to high school? <laughs> I don't know that day. So I understand. I can yeah. feel a kindred soul. Now, listen, answer me this. What's the heart when you decided all of a sudden to do? Southern Grit. So you came up with the name. You said, I'm going to print a magazine or I'm going to create a magazine about Virginia food. Are, were you, are you from Virginia? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So um, I, I'll try to keep this short so as to not make it boring. So um, I got into music in a really early age. So a lot of times I was skipping class and, and going to band practice, basically. And um, I was very in tune with the fact, though, that a a fat white guy was not going to be a rock star, but I really wanted to, to, to you know, this wasn't meatloaf reincarnated or anything. So I, I wanted to, I wanted to, to work in music. I wanted to do something in music. I wanted to tour, but I realized I wasn't going to go but so far with it. And so um, basically I, I uh, was able to tour twice and I was very proud of that. And when I got back uh, the, the second time, I realized that there wasn't really forget a magazine, there wasn't like a zine, there wasn't, in the Hampton Roads area, there wasn't, there wasn't this like zine for like local creatives and local musicians, and so uh, I created a, a publication, if you want to call it that, called 757-E-Zine. Yes, I uh, saw that on you, in your bio, yeah. And um, uh, it centered around music and arts in Hampton Roads, and then eventually, because, you know, again, a fat white guy, I, I uh, got into food, and we started doing like a food section and we noticed that there was this huge response to, you know, this food section. And I, I really didn't see that coming. And 
uh, it kind of made me want to do more with it. And that kind of started the journey that would be, that would become Southern Grit Magazine. I think that it's phenomenal. Are you kidding? It's phenomenal. Um, tell us about, tell me this. What are, I, I know I've been to Virginia, not enough, but I know a little bit about it. Tell me why you, and of course it was one of the original states in the union. Tell me about dishes that you think are quintessential Virginian that people may not know that came from Virginia. So I, I'm doing a talk uh, at a local library this weekend, and I'm going to ask the question, how many people, be honest, when they think of barbecue, do they think about Virginia? And nobody usually does. They think Carolina, they think Texas. But it be, it, American barbecue, as we know it, uh, began here. And um, I'm not going to talk too much about this because Deb might be roaming around and she gets tired of me talking about barbecue. But uh, <laughs> Everybody that wants, that's into barbecue, that wants to know more about the history of it, immediately needs to go read Joe Haynes's book, Virginia Barbecue, A History. It's the most succinct, succinct argument out there for why barbecue as we know it today began in Virginia. And um, it, it really, when you think about American food, barbecue really is like at the top of the list. And uh, the fact that so many people don't know that it began here in Virginia, uh, in the hands of uh, you know indigenous people, enslaved people, and uh, rural white people, essentially mingling and and bringing different things to the to the approach to create it to what it is today. The fact that nobody knows that, or a lot of people don't know that, is is uh, was was wild for me to find out and. Um, Literally right now, I'm working on a documentary about that and um, with a guy with Matt Wade. And uh, it, it's it's fascinating to me. And I'll, I'll say this too. Please. People are starting to get hip to this, just, just like within the last year or two. Yeah. Um, it's not that there weren't people screaming about it before. Uh, you know, again, Joe Haynes, uh, a more known person, Michael Twitty, some other people, but I just don't think it really was catching on. And I think now that Texas barbecue, which you could argue isn't even barbecue, I'm sure people hate hearing that, but uh, now that that has been around for a while and it's, it's, it's hit this kind of apex, I think people are starting to go, well, where's the next thing? And if you notice in society right now, a lot of things are going back to like, we got to rediscover what was. Yes. And I, and I think people need to get reacquainted with Virginia barbecue and they need to start going into the history of it. And there's so much there to rediscover and explore. And it's exciting to see like author uh, Adrian Miller coming to Virginia two or three times now, writing about some of the Virginia pitmasters of the past. It's exciting to see that Haynes is starting to be recognized on a semi more national level than just like a regional Virginia thing. Um, we just did a shoot with some, I guess we can't actually talk about it, but we did a shoot with a major food personality that is one of the biggest food personalities out there who is working on a new show. And they came here specifically to shoot Virginia barbecue. And we oh, did a wonderful. Great. Yeah. That's great. So, yeah. So it's, it's barbecue. The long answer would be barbecue is something that people 
should think about when they think Virginia, but they don't. Okay. Something else? Is there another food that we should be thinking of? Well, I mean, there's, there's, there's tons. Uh, there's, it's interesting because there's a, a debate right now if uh, yak is actually a, a New Orleans thing first or a Virginia thing first. Uh, Deb has written extensively about fried chicken. Uh, and I, sh I should say American fried chicken because obviously the, the Scottish were doing that first, but the American interpretation of it, uh, I think there's a, pretty good argument that it started in Virginia. Um, and, and, you know, like I said, Deb wrote that great article about that. Um, it, it's, it's, you, you look at, you know, the first chef de cuisine, James, James Hemings, uh, in, in Virginia and, and doing, oh, interpre of course, of course. Yeah, doing interpretations of, uh, macaroni and cheese, uh, uh, see, I think whipped cream, uh, just a myriad of dishes. We've done dinners, uh, in Hampton Road celebrating him, Deb and I, uh, and his his work. And and uh, so, I mean, it's more like what dishes didn't start in Virginia ver versus well, what dishes did. Okay. Well, it makes sense because the people that had money, do you know what I mean? We're living there and work and had help. So they- <laughs> Help, help yeah, with I quotation know. marks, yes. You know, this is typical. I'm 71 years old. So the entire history of America that I was uh, taught has been whitewashed. Thomas Jefferson was supposed to be the greatest man in the world. Do you see it? You know what I mean? From what I've been told. So I went to Monticello what, when I was a child or in high school, they had a field trip and stuff. Now, I didn't know, I didn't know about his relationship with Sally Hemings. I wasn't thinking of them as enslaved people. Okay, their names came up once in a while. So it's so different as you get, all of a sudden your eyes are open to this. It was horrible. It was immoral. And it's no different. And of course, I'm, I equate everything to being a white woman, but I don't feel like, I don't feel like the constitution is, is correct anymore. I mean, this has been, my husband's an attorney. All he ever says is today's, but you know what? The constitution was written by wealthy white men. They didn't care about anybody else. Um, I, I think I think that I, I think maybe maybe drawing on my uh, goth influence background, it's it, for me, it's it's not difficult to see that humans are very flawed people, and okay. so I never I never had some type of like altruistic idea about the founding fathers of the country. Okay, but I will say that I think that when somebody that when I was in college, <laughs> I guess it's going back to college. So I didn't get my bachelor's because I sucked at math because again, I was, I was not in high school. So I missed, Yeah, I, I was able to, I had like a 3.6 GPA with my history classes. And then anytime a math class came up or a foreign language class came up, I ended up dropping it. And so I, I didn't finish literally because of being a, a dope in, in, in high school. But, um, I, I will I will say that it's I read a lot of uh, retroactive looking backwards interpretation of art. Okay. And I think that sometimes what gets lost is that we look at the past with our eyes now, and we don't we don't always think about 
what the modes of operation were back then. And then there is this idealized idea about things that are not accurate, but I, I don't think I'm on, I'm on the page of like, let's, let's tear everything down. I think I'm on the page of, we need to have a real conversation. It, I don't know how much what we're actually getting is a, it's more of, in my opinion, it's more of a reaction with vitriol that's understandable. And uh, it's for me, a very mixed bag, you know, again, you know, here's a white guy uh, commenting on this, but I think that we're looking at it through eyes of today and we don't have a grasp of what the norms of the time were. And so I do think that's a component that we don't talk about because we're very focused on the awfulness that is possible from humans. You kind of just explained cancel culture. To be <laughs> really, Josh, to bring that home, you just described cancel. You said that very well. Well, I, I think that I think that it's it's the way it's been whitewashed is that we we until recently have not been talking about James Hemings, and That's so exactly right. and so I, I it's not that I don't it's not that I disagree with what you're saying. I, I think that these it's a are conversation. It's a huge conversation that deals with the the flaw of culture, and then at that time men and then how they were interacting and and being in that culture. I mean, you know, yeah, it, it's like saying that that Nietzsche had nothing to offer despite being flawed, but he did, but he was flawed. You know I, what I'm saying? Okay. Oh, uh, or, okay. Or 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 Heidegger, same same example. You know, there it. Clearly a flawed, a flawed man with some ideas that are flawed, but also ideas about philosophy that led to a, to postmodern thought as we know it today. Okay. Uh, good and bad. So I agree with you, and I think we could talk about it for eight hours. Okay. <laughs> answer me this. I love everything you said. So do you cook? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, I have I have two very hungry women that I live with who they are lucky girls. That's all I can say. If you can cook anything, Josh, what's your favorite things to cook? Uh, you know, I've really enjoyed making uh, watermelon jam the last couple of years. I've got it down to a uh, science. I think I can say this part. I can't say why. Okay. I had the opportunity to give Carla Hall my watermelon jam. And it's funny because she critiqued me and she was correct, except she forgot she was dealing with an old school fat guy who liked sweet because she wanted me to cut it I see. With, with, with more citrus. And I had some citrus in there, but I, I didn't want, I didn't want that sweet to be gone. I'm, I'm very much, I got a sweet tooth like to die for. I understand that. And, uh, and so I really enjoy making watermelon jam. Deb and, and her daughter have this affinity for the combination of soy and lime. So at this point, I could put soy and lime on a boot and they would probably eat it. Deb in particular, uh, this marinade that's like four ingredients, she cannot get enough of. Sounds um, still Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, probably watermelon jam was real interesting to make. I used to make a mean pho. I've had pho that's so good now that I, I'm almost embarrassed to try to make it. What about eggs? Well, that's the mark of if you really have any talent in the kitchen. Right. You can make it. How do you make uh, it? Well, so here's the thing. My partner, Deb, and her daughter don't believe in breakfast. Oh. They literally are like, they will not eat breakfast. So I'm just making eggs for myself. It's done quite well, but they don't know about it. 
and they won't listen to me about breakfast. They literally are anti-breakfast. I, I wake up every day and I'm just, I want some breakfast. Me too. And they will not, they are just like, no, we're, we don't eat breakfast. Well, why don't you eat breakfast? I, I just don't eat breakfast. Okay. And they really don't. The one time I saw Taylor, uh, Deb's daughter, eat Cinnamon Toast Crunch, I about fell over. And I've never seen Deb eat a bowl of cereal since I've known her for, it feels like 80 years, for five years, <laughs> six years, however long. So they don't believe in breakfast. But yes, egg, you have to be able to cook an egg right if you claim right. to be good in the kitchen. That's exactly right. Now, we are more alike than you even know, Josh, because <laughs> we are, everything you're saying, I have to tell you, we are more alike than you know. In the future, so I know what you, I know you did the, your watermelon story, the journals, the saga, the stories of your studying watermelon seeds, which is kind of amazing. And people should go back and listen to the first time Deb was on our podcast. And I know that you're even doing something this weekend where you guys are talking about it to a, at a seed conference. Yes, yes. And I know you like to garden and I know you're growing these heirloom watermelons. What would be the next thing you'd like to tackle? Oh man, I have just started scratching the surface with watermelons. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the last couple of days I have been scouring over uh, late 1800s, early 1900s uh, seed catalogs, uh, trying to find out if the famous Bradford watermelon that a lot of some people are familiar with is one and the same with another watermelon called the Pearson watermelon. Uh, not because Not because I'm actually trying to study the Bradford or the Pearson, but because there's some farmers, a farmer in uh, Florida that's been working on recreating the Florida favorite, which was a famed uh, mm -hmm. Florida watermelon in the early 1900s. And David Shields, who was who popularized in a lot of ways the reemergence of the Bradford on um, Mind of a Chef with his great story that wow. everybody should go watch that segment. It's one of the most amazing food segments ever. The, okay. the David Shields Bradford watermelon segment. Okay. So um, he's made a statement that the parentage, so the two melons that made the Florida favorite are the Bradford and the Georgia rattlesnake. Only problem is, is that I don't know where he's getting that the Bradford and the Pearson are the same because everywhere you see in these old catalogs, the parents of the Florida favorite are the rattlesnake and the, the Pearson. And the farmer in Florida is using a Bradford and a rattlesnake to make a quote unquote new Florida favorite watermelon. So I've been watching NYPD Blue in the background and uh, <laughs> uh, searching through um, different catalogs trying to find everything I can about this. Let me say one more thing. And I know everyone's sleeping out there because I'm talking no, about- they are. I'm just saying this. I can see now that you have not moved on from your watermelon. I do, I do want to say this though. The, the farmer, Will Crumb, if he hears this. Okay. I respect, the, I respect the hell out of what he's doing because he's been selecting now for seven, seven years, this Bradford and um, uh, Rattlesnake cross. So e even if- Shields, hypothetically, because he's forgotten more about watermelons than I'll ever know, e even if hypothetically the Pearson and the, and the Bradford are not the same, a new watermelon has emerged from two great heirloom watermelons to create a new watermelon in this day and age when uh, seedless watermelons and things yeah. like that rule, yeah. rule the world. So 
either way, props to Will Crum for, for creating a really interesting watermelon that I hope to fly down to Florida soon and try um, and talk shop with him. So yeah, uh, no, I will, I, 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 I'm going to be busy with watermelons for a while. Okay. All right, and now I know, and I'm going to keep my fingers on the pulse of what you're doing by going to your Facebook page and finding out. Can people get a subscription to your su Southern Grit? They can go to southerngritmagazine.com. Right. We always, we, we used to average three or four of them a year, but then when COVID happened, Sure. We hit, hit a couple years. We only got one out a year. We're trying to get back to two. I'm not doing a, a subscription thing right now because I don't want to put a hard date on when the next one's coming out, but I believe that will be back up at some point. I know that we're going to release a really interesting, uh, it'll be edition 16, hopefully within the next month or two. Great. And uh, it'll uh, center around a bunch of different Virginia foods that people should know more about. So like we got an article coming out about um, chicken muddle, which people don't know too much about. It's similar to Brunswick stew. Uh, speaking of Virginia dishes, uh, you know, Georgia claims that Brunswick stew began there. It totally did not. You can go to our website right now and there's a five proofs why Brunswick stew began in Virginia written by Joe Haynes, who I mentioned earlier. Go read that. It's pretty definitive, another Virginian dish that, uh, that, that is uh, quite popular in the South. Well, now I have to go there and see it. And the reason, Josh, my neighbor is from Georgia and makes Brunswick stew and always brings us some when he makes it. He's an absolute character. I don't think I'm gonna bring up that you've told me that it's from Virginia yet because I don't want the stew to disappear and it's absolutely yeah. delicious. But now I will have to read your read about that and figure out how I can drop in the conversation one day. <laughs> do, do, do you know how he makes it? No, I do not. Okay. And he and and I I think this is something that he he's a cook. He barbecues. He has a big grill out back. We always know because it feels like our um, backyard is on fire. And his wife apologizes to us and the dogs bark because it smells so delicious. And I think it's the most charming thing in the world because I think cooking to me, Josh, is one is a gift. Whoever you cook for, even if it's just for yourself. I, For me, I know that cooking has been the greatest gift I've ever I received, okay? That I learned to cook, that I can cook that I can nurture myself and nurture others. I think it's incredible. So when anybody cooks anything, even when it's awful, I, I, my hat's off to them because I think it's really, really important. I, I'll say this too about, about chefs and, and the restaurant industry. When, when we decided to start Southern Grit, at yeah. that point, I had never worked in a kitchen and I felt like there was something wrong with that if I was going to you know, put out a food magazine with, right. at the time, my partner. And um, so I ended up, I ended up purposely going and working in a kitchen uh, for a little over two years, I think, if I remember that correctly, uh, Nivelle Kitchen in, in Norfolk. And um, it, particularly with Rush and, and how demanding it is on line, line cooks and, and, and chefs, uh, hats off to our restaurant uh, uh, people who, who uh, have a much harder job than people realize, I think. It's hard work. Yeah. And you have to love it, Josh, but it is food. I don't care if you're a stylist, a chef, a food writer, your, your 
becoming a grower, a gardener, anything that's connected with food is labor intensive. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it, you don't put the pen down at five o'clock and close the folder. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. You finish one thing and you walk in the back. I used to equate when I ran a big kitchen to having a baby. And sometimes the baby was asleep, but then you had to do the diapers. And then sometimes the baby was awake and you had to feed it. And then sometimes the baby just had to go into the playpen. But kitchens, anything that's with, and I'm sure that's very similar to your magazine, all that stuff is labor intensive. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have one more question for you. And thank you so much for your time today, your valuable time. What music do you like? Metal. Ah, uh, heavy metal? Yes. My God. Well, you know, I was actually um, in the crowd of most of those heavy metal guys when they started out. <laughs> I mean, not, to, uh, not to interrupt you, but uh, there is uh, no more interesting a mix than going from uh, let's say uh, a, a Beyonce song with Deb in the car to then switching over to uh, uh, whatever I'm listening at the time. A, 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 what, what, what would be one of the, uh, I'm trying to think what, what annoys Deb the most I listen to. Uh, so she's listening to Beyonce and then you're changing the music station. Well, see, here's the thing. I'm outnumbered. So I'm in the car. Oh, sure. Deb sure. and Taylor. It's a combination of like Beyonce, Drake. Then it gets, sometimes it gets real ratchet. So then it's like uh, Megan the Stallion or, or uh, oh. it gets, it gets real interesting. It's, yeah. I, you know, I, can I share, can I share one thing with you? Of course you can. How crass can I get on this show? Oh, as crass as you'd like. You're sure? Oh yeah. Okay. Yes. And Cindy's, Cindy, we'll see what Cindy says. Okay, I've noticed the theme, and I have to be careful here because I'm on I'm on a I'm on a very a, a premier show that's very much women centric. So I have to I got to be careful how I'm going to say this. Okay, but this is just an objective observation. Okay, that I have noticed. Okay, every other song that Megan Thee Stallion puts out is about the desire for. I understand. That she that she really wants. This is this is this is what happens when you live with two strong black women. You learn the ins and outs of Megan the Stallion's lyrics. And I never thought that I would be in that position. But then again, Deb, you know, has had to listen to Nine Inch Nails' Pretty Hate Machine from front to back, and and so it's it's a trade. Life is a compromise. Yes, yes. are a trade. I do think. Josh, you're the third person that ever said Fabio on this. And I'm kind of excited because we don't, everybody listens to us are old, Josh. You might've just perked up our audience like we don't even know. Well, now I have, I have a long list of things I have to do from having talked to you. And now I have to play her music. In my car, Josh, when I drive, mm. I listen to Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin. I listen to people, they're all dead. Okay, but that's the kind, <laughs> they're all dead. That's the kind of music. I listen to a lot of dead people. So anyway, that's oh, you know what you know what you, you brought this full circle. We talked about yes, we have dead it. American presidents, and 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 now we have closed with dead singer singers of of the past of 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 an era of a mid. Wait, one more thing now. One more thing. 
don't ever buy a mid-century modern couch. If you're going to bring up Sinatra, I got to say this. They look amazing. I love I, the lines. Granted, granted, Deb and I could not have been publicly together at the time, which means clearly problems at the time that were not good. But the furniture, the furniture was amazing. Yeah. It's, it, but, but you cannot sit on it for more than about 45 minutes. And behind me right now, is a mid-century modern couch that Deb and I fought about for weeks on end because I was insisting on this. And I learned quickly, it is not a fat boy friendly couch to have. And so if you are into mid-century modern furniture, you must be fit and you must be small <laughs> if you are going to sit on it. And so I don't know what to do because we just bought a house and I need, I, I love that aesthetic. Josh, when you were a kid, did people say, um, did your teacher say things like, there's a pot, Josh doesn't, has a problem focusing, or do you ever? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Has anyone ever mentioned to you ADD, Josh? I'm just curious, because I think that we could have been twins separated by about 400 decades, because it sounds exactly like something that I would say. We have a reverence for dead men, apparently. It, it all tied up. Yes, I loved it. I loved it. You brought it. You brought it full circle. That's why you're the host. That's, That's why you're the host. Thank you for your very precious time, and I mean that because I know how busy you are. I, I had actually now I really know how busy you are. If people want to reach out to Josh, all his information will be on the website. Um, you can reach us at womenbeyond at icloud.com. And Josh, really, I cannot thank you enough. And I. My head is reeling from the watermelon seed still. I'm reeling. Okay. Do you, uh, do you want us to try to get you some of these heirloom seeds? No, because I'll tell You're you what. You're not taking it on. You're not taking no, it on. No, I want to eat the watermelon. When Deb was talking about people growing their own vegetables, mm -hmm. and Cindy had a similar experience. A few years ago, my husband had lived in a, in a cult for a long time ago. Josh, when he was a young man. So they had a garden and they grew zucchini and everything. Now he hated it because they made him garden and he didn't want a garden. Okay. okay. But one day he says to me a few years ago, I'm buying some tomato plants. I'm going to grow tomatoes again because we can't get good tomatoes and I want to taste delicious tomatoes. I said, knock yourself out. So we had the guard, we had a gardener that helped us, tomato plants, you name it. Josh, I think we were into it about $800 and we got one tomato. <laughs> well, listen, listen, listen. We didn't have a good harvest. And I also noticed that my partner in crime, Mr. Green Jeans himself, seemed to be very lackadaisical when it came to taking care of the garden. So we have never done that since. But I'm excited. No, I want to read everything you say about watermelons, but I'm not growing no stinking watermelons. Okay. All right. Well, I don't think I can fly them to you because they're, no. they're very oh, I think we'll, our paths will cry, cross and I'll get to taste them. All right. If you're ever in Virginia, I will have a little. What do you mean? I'm sleeping on the couch. <laughs> you're not sleeping on that couch. I'm telling you right now, you're not sleeping on that couch. Thank you so much. Right. And congratulations. And I look forward to your next issue. I want to thank you for shining more light on some of Deborah Freeman's writing. Thank you, because I know that uh, you were one of her first uh, oh. a, a podcast appearances. Like, that was one of the first times she She's appeared. She's the greatest. I mean, yeah. and I know she loves you to death. So, okay. well, thanks for putting up with me for way too long. No. 
Cindy and I are big fans. And you know what, Josh? Everything that we can do to help each other on this little tiny, sometimes ugly planet is what we're, what is, to me, is what we're really here for. Well, thank you. Thank you, Miss Cindy. Again, women beyond at iCloud.com. And thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Bye. Josh, look at this. Cindy and I've worked together for almost 20 something, 22 years. I never knew about climate change. Never.